With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire! Welcome back to Off Topple Empire, your source for everything Big Ten, affiliate of Off Tackle Empire. I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumbasaurus. I'm here with Andy Krzyzewski, and we are talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes. We're uh, we're apparently in the roughly 8.5 win territory of our Big Ten 2021 previews. Yep, I mean, what is six and two if not the eight and four of a shortened season? And we, of course, were discussing- that actually extrapolates to nine and three. Thank you very much. With a bowl so, loss, that would be nine and four. Extrapolates to a slightly better than usual season. So, uh, but not not outside of the upper bounds, the upper or lower bounds. They've both been respected. And so we were discussing corn shortly before we got started, and of course, it figures because. You, we have to talk Hawkeye before the end of July, as the saying goes. So we're right on schedule. Sunrise, sunset, seasons moving as they normally do. And notwithstanding the fact that apparently they might still cancel the Olympics this week. Uh, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Nothing to worry about. Can I preview as though nothing, as though there isn't a gathering angry storm cloud over the entire sports universe once again? Well, yeah, we are... We're recording this on July 20th. I'm currently day to day with an oblique injury suffered in Ultimate Frisbee. And 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 yesterday, the, the, the stock market had an alarming sell-off triggered by, oh my God, it's finally happening. This is the time to sell because that Delta variant is, is happening. There's lockdowns. It's just, it, it's going to be really bad. It's, it's the end times. And today on Tuesday, it had a massive rally as everybody realized, LOL, JK, nothing matters. Yep. Money is not real. So... So, uh, anyway, yeah, there's, um, there's been an awful lot of positive COVID tests in the sports world lately. We're hoping what the, the NBA finals are currently as of this recording in game six. Yep. Game six is tonight. Basically the NBA better hope that the Bucks win because who knows if game seven would get played. It would get played. It just would be a question of when, because no, but it's it's not a tight enough time frame. Even if things go to hell, they'll get in game seven. They're not going to postpone it. I mean, a game seven for your title. No, they're going to play that game. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so let me just first, before we get too far into it, um, I would like to look something up about the state of Iowa and it looks like Iowa is at uh, 52.3% vaccinated with uh, one plus dose. Um, that, that could be a lot better. Uh, that's not, you know, not going to be enough to get you all to 
you know, a hundred percent capacity in certain states, probably your own because, but, but you could do a lot better. Uh, you're well behind Illinois, although Illinois has one of the higher one plus dose, but not as much fully vaccinated as you would expect. Uh, but you're still ahead of Indiana and Ohio. So that's pretty good. But, you know, close up that close up those numbers. We've got a big militia problem here in Michigan, and we're still way ahead of you for vaccinations. Uh, don't 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 go uh, for well. We're not that far ahead. Actually, it's fractions of a percent, but still, the militia problem is a problem. Anyway, because you know, this fall, I just want to go and have my dreams crush in person. I want to have the experience of you know, throwing up my hands saying the hell with this and abandoning watching the Illini early, but I want to be at the stadium when I do it. So do your part to help contribute to my depression this fall. So what you were planning on going to the game against Illinois, against Illinois then at, at Kinnick? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, it's, it's all situational, you know, it, uh, it depends on whether or not we show any poll, any, any signs of life against Nebraska. You know, I'm fine with going to a game where we're probably going to lose. Just, you know, I'd like, like to think we're going to score a touchdown or something. I wasn't fine with going to a game we're probably going to lose. I'd never make it to any games. So we've avoided talking about Iowa long enough, probably just to pad this runtime, because it kind of feels like we're going to be saying a lot of the same things that we say every year. I don't know about that. Um, there's there's a little bit more in the way of attrition here than you typically see. Iowa usually has a very well-balanced roster, but they had considerable losses on both lines. Um, their top weapon in the passing game is gone. They lost their depth in the running game as well. So all that being said, even losing a high-round offensive tackle for the second year in a row, their offensive line should be good, especially on the interior Tyler Wernerbaum is one of the few offensive linemen whose name is known by anyone outside of the state that he plays in. Um, Kyle shot next to him is pretty good. So they have, they have a solid interior. They'll have new guys at the tackle spots, but you can usually assume that they'll be okay there. Eventually. The question for me though, is last year, even with Amir Smith, Marset, maybe, I mean, to me, it was certainly one of the, no worse than a, the third best wide receiver of the last 20 years for Iowa outside of McNutt and Johnson Culliano. So they lose him a passing game. That was not very dangerous to begin with. They have some guys that were interesting in supplemental roles in Tyron Tracy jr. And Nico Regani in the slot. And then the tight end Sam Laporta was a favorite target of Petrus, but I feel like they don't have a proven big playability anymore. So they need one of those guys to take a pretty big step forward here to prevent defenses from keying on Tyler Goodson, who without Makai Sargent should hopefully finally be the true bell cow that he has looked like for most of two years now. So the thing is with, and, and you, you bring that up, that's what, the first thing I was going to bring up is there's suddenly a lot of pressure on Spencer Petrus. And can you remember a time, when was the last time the, uh, the quarterback situation at Iowa was this shaky because although they've rarely had spectacular quarterbacks, they've generally had pretty competent to decent ones. I think what would probably be said as well. So when, when we say shaky, it's not to say that there's, that there seems to be much doubt about who the starter is going to be, but I, maybe I'm reading too much into limited data here, 
but I somehow get the impression they, they seemed a little more willing to give Padilla looks. I think it's Padilla and not Padilla, but I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, the backup quarterback. Well, we're in the Midwest. We call it games against Notre Dame. It's going to be Padilla. And, you know, you don't like that. You, you can go back to, to you know, wherever. But uh, he's, he's Andrew Padilla as far as I'm concerned. Well, his first name is Alex. Close enough, though. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Andrew Padilla. Did I stutter? Um, so I do get a, maybe a little bit of a Rudock Bethard vibe there where they have a guy in Petrus who seems to have a little bit of a lower ceiling than you might like for a starter. If you're going to, if you have designs on bigger things, you know, winning your division and so forth. But and again, before a few years ago, you would never have expected Ference to do that kind of thing, but he's shown the willingness to give the hook once before. So, and one of the reasons is because a lot of, you know, is because in all the, the situations that could have gotten like this, a quarterback asserted themselves as a, as a starter that you could be comfortable with. Nate Stanley performed, you know, he performed, uh, he had a very stable performance his freshman year. He had a, not a spectacular, but a reassuring performance, uh, a, a confidence building performance in his freshman year. Uh, ask any Iowa fans and uh, their confidence in Petrus is probably nowhere near what theirs was, you know, halfway through Nate Stanley's first season. No, so, and, statistic- and statistically things picked up for him a little bit in the tail half of last season, but also the quality of the defenses Iowa played generally declined later in the season. So, so they got uh, a bit of a Mike Turbinski situation on their hands. Right. So as with anything else from last season, I suppose there's some danger in reading too much into it. And we'll see a few games in whether or not Petrus ends up being a multi-year starter for them, or if he's the kind of guy that Hawkeye fans can't wait to see the end of as they've had both, right. They've had samples of both. Like Um, Tom Brady at Michigan. um, That's, that was a very different thing. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) anyway, Defensively, there's a lot to replenish up front where they had three excellent players uh, graduate. Davion Nixon was the guy that always stood out to me, but um, Jack Heflin, the Northern Illinois transfer is gone. So is um, Golston, who's a mid-round pick of the Cowboys, I think. So they lose three very capable starters off of the front. They have their other end back in Zach Van Valkenburg. He had a very productive season last year, but also has to be contextualized a little bit by the fact that he had three really good double team drawing type guys along the line with him. Now he's going to be the guy that your opposing offensive coordinator circles first when he's, you know, when you're in the offensive line meeting room. So we'll see how he does in a higher pressure situation across the rest of the line. I know Iowa fans are like looking forward to seeing John Wagner. He's a former I think four-star sort of recruit. They have a couple of new defensive tackles. I think it's Yaya Black and Noah Shannon who are projected to be the starters. Both have the size, look the part, but have played very limited snaps because Nixon and Heflin were so good last year. So Not the first Yaya I've seen in sports, but every single time I see that name, it reminds me of Crazy Taxi. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we can only hope that he's good enough to stick in the lineup and we get to see you know, your, your awkward BTNB crews um, trying to come up with clever things to play off of his name. So moving back a bit, there's no obvious stud in the linebacker group, but they have decent experience. Uh, Jack Campbell's a name that you you've heard multiple times on preview podcasts here before. 
Dane Belton has been good for them in the cash role, which is sort of a hybrid linebacker safety spot. Um, Seth Benson is also an upperclassman who figures to step into a bigger role this year. So they have experience there. Nobody along the lines of, you know, Josie Jewell or Pat Anger or whoever, at least not at this point, but I guess at some point those guys were unknowns as well. You could also keep your eye out for Justin Jacobs, who was a once Ballyhooed um, star recruit that presumably their fans would love to see get on the field. But in Kirk Ferentz fashion, if he ain't practicing better, he ain't going to play better. So, yeah, um, I, I would hope that by now any Iowa fan um, doesn't still have that expectation that a promising recruit is going to see the field uh, sooner rather than later. It's not that it won't happen. It's just that you don't like unless the conditions are there, you should assume that it's not going to happen. I also want to point out what an app, what an apt name Pat Anger would have had if you'd swapped his career with Vontez Perfect. <laughs> that would make him a tremendous angerer. <laughs> he would anger many people. Uh, yeah, opposing fans, his own teammates, his coaches. One time, uh, fifteen NFL. seed in name of the year, Pat Angerer. Uh, uh, and so then to wrap up the defense, stop me. You've heard this before, but Iowa's secondary is going to be really good. They have one of the more experienced and more capable combo of cornerbacks in the country and Matt Hankins and Riley Moss. Um, they have yet another former Metro Detroit product that neither Michigan nor Michigan state made much of an effort to recruit in Kayvon Merriweather, who I think is going to have an absolute breakout season this year. And of course, to top it all off, they have Jack Kerner, who's the under athletic white safety who spends a couple of years getting absolutely torched and then figures out where he needs to be and when, and is really good as an upperclassman. So that's what I look for from him. I would expect their back end to be extremely good. If they can find any kind of pass rush to support Van Valkenburg, again, Wagner's probably the guy to look for there. Uh, this pass defense could be really good again, and then we'll see what the interior looks like if they can hold up against the run as well. All the pieces are here for another pretty darn good defense. You need more guys to step up out of anonymous roles than they usually have, but you know, such as kind of how the things lined up. And ultimately, to win the Big Ten West, all you need to do is to have your offense com- commit just like a few, like one fewer big-time dick trip than your opponent. That's really what it takes, as evidenced by the fact that, fact that Pat Fitzgerald has won it two of the last three years. Yeah, and that brings us back to Petrus, where I yep. still don't see it. Um, his pocket presence definitely improved a little bit over the year, but man, there were some, there were some individual plays. We, you look at it, and it's like, there was one in particular. I don't remember from what game. It's this series of stills, and he, the first one, he's standing there in a completely clean pocket, like a wall of black jerseys around him, and he's looking downfield. Then in the next frame, he's, out, he's running out of the pocket of his own accord. The pocket is still there, a perfect bubble that he's leaving behind him. And then he rolls out, and he, I forget if he turfed his throw or threw it over his guy's head or what, but it, it was just it was a thing where it's like that kind of thing would make you tear your hair out. Um, I'm going to say something that Iowa fans will probably curse me for. He reminds me a lot of Andrew Maxwell. Um, and that's look, I mean, that's not to say that he doesn't have the physical talent. Maxwell did too, but it's just like, there's, there's stuff with timing and reads and flow that just didn't seem to be there. And that's not to say that he can't get better and maybe he will, but again, he's losing a big target in Smith Marset. 
they have enough new pieces, especially the tackle spots that maybe he's already had some moments where he's inclined to distrust his protection. So with a couple of new guys on the line, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. He's got the physical talent to do it for sure, but there are just some moments you look at last season where it's like, what are you doing, dude? And you can definitely steamroll you know, some of the lesser teams as far as their defensive fronts are concerned. You can probably just hand it off to Goodson 25 times and be good, but uh, against teams that are built to stop that, you're going to have to find some kind of a change-up with the passing game. You're not going to be able to just you know, unless, of course, Graham Mertz ends up being similarly vulnerable and we just see Wisconsin and Iowa smash it into the line 50 times apiece for a 3-3 overtime game. But, well, you know, before we even get there, though, and this is a nice segue into the schedule, uh, not really the the casual ramp up that you sometimes see from Big Ten schedules here. With more conference games in the first week, Iowa gets a visit from Indiana the first game of the season. And then after that, they take their trip to Ames to play Iowa State, which is not the laughable program that it used to be with Matt Campbell still around. So to the extent that they have some things to figure out, they need to get those things worked out before the season kicks off or they could find themselves in an 0-2 hole with a division, well, a cross-divisional loss, but a conference loss right away. You know, Indiana has morphed from what kind of what Purdue is now into something resembling Iowa. Yeah, in a lot of ways they are, where it's – you can't you you cannot count on them to beat themselves. Um, you know their defense is going to make you earn it, and their offense is not especially lethal. But you know they're going to put some points on the board most of the time. Their defense isn't going to have a glaring weakness that you can that you can really, you know, it's not going to be a, a matchup thing. They're 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 functionally good at doing a lot of things. Yeah, they're not going to overwhelm you with their physical talent, but still, a team that you cannot beat simply by lining up and being better than them. they're going to make you, they're going to make you make plays and be fundamentally sound. So again, a difficult opponent in the first week. And like we said, Iowa state is not the rollover that they used to be. Although Iowa still seems to have the upper hand in that particular matchup. I think that might be kind of a psyche thing. Um, the other two non-con games have no special interests, home matches ups with Kent state and Colorado state. And then they have their other two divisional crossovers um, earlier in the conference schedule. First couple of weeks of October, they go to Maryland and host Penn State. And then the entire six-game division slate proceeds from there. Um, Purdue, Minnesota, Illinois at home. Wisconsin, Northwestern, Nebraska on the road. I think you would have to call that a fairly difficult home road split in terms of those divisional games. And that you have the trip to Camp Randall, the trip to um, Lincoln as well. Hey, let's talk about El Asico, okay? Because th- this this has produced some fantastic moments recently, and uh, I think is is well deserving of some more inspection. So this should be yet another pretty competitive year for Iowa State in the Big Twelve. Yeah, they've been able to make some noise. They uh, they don't lose a whole lot of their offensive skill players. <clears throat> Um, didn't what was their running back? Didn't their running back here on not Montgomery's been gone for a couple years, I know, but the next guy isn't he back? It was like Grease Hall or something like that. Yeah, I think he's I think he's back. Um, I believe they still have their quarterback as well. Yeah, Brock Purdy is yep. still there, and they have they have depth at running back as well. Hall has just established himself as the bell cow there, and 
Oh, and they like they're polar too, a, an absolute kick-ass tight end. So yeah. I mean, talk about the kind of thing that would actually make a, an Iowa fan jealous that you're not going to have the best tight end on the field in that game. The thing is, unlike their El Asico rival, when they see a running back is clearly the best option on the roster, they give him the ball a bunch of times. Yeah, there you. He's a guy you can expect to carry the ball 300 times this year. They have a pretty darn good offensive line as well. So that's that's an offense that is going to threaten you right away if some of your new pieces on defense aren't ready to go. Um, and they have really good continuity on their defense too. They only lost a couple of their guys um, defensively, but they've got a really good pass rusher in Will McDonald. So they're gonna they're gonna be a threat pretty much across the board. I mean, Iowa State's no joke anymore. Yeah, but th- that that being said, this isn't a new thing you know, Iowa State being decent, and yet Iowa has won the last five El Asicos. I think it's new them being this good. Uh, maybe You could say maybe two years ago there were signs there, but last year, again, in somewhat anonymity because they were eliminated by the Iowa loss from serious playoff contention, but they've been a factor in the Big 12 for a couple years now. I They've yeah. been a pretty, pretty, pretty painful Lego for specifically Oklahoma has stepped on that one recently a few times uh, as um, as has whoever rises up to take Oklahoma's place. Uh, I, do think, it, I think it's selling them a little bit short to describe them as a Lego at this point. Three years ago, they were a Lego. Now they're an entire they're like the a house. They're like the home alone house after Kevin McAllister's been in it for a couple hours. Like there's. There's more to Iowa State than just taking them lightly and, you know, turnovering your way into a surprisingly close game that turns into a loss. They're a good team across the board. It seems unlikely that they can produce a funnier conclusion to a game than the last edition of this, the 2019 one that was decided by, uh, what was it, a penalty on a punt? I thought the, I think the play you're talking, isn't that the one where the guy blew up his own guy? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Something way funnier than a penalty yeah. and a punt. Yes, a, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, a, a team kill on a punt return. <laughs> Look, you got to remember to turn friendly fire off if you're going to be indiscriminately shooting like that. Um, <laughs> got to have group, you, you at least got to have team chat enabled. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I will say a difficult matchup. It's one Iowa has controlled recently, as you mentioned, but again, this is a little bit of a different vibe. I would be very surprised if Iowa was not a three, three and a half, four point favorite in that game. Um, other than that though, there's, there, there's enough flux in the big 10 West. There is no proven out front team right now. I know a lot of people are going to be inclined to just say, well, it's probably Wisconsin. And you know, again, at the end of the day, it very well might be. But if you look at what they have coming back from last year, what holes you expect them to fill, I was probably going to be in the picture as much as anyone. I mean, they're they're not a program that you expect to have a drop off year where they're you know two and seven in the conference or something. So if, they should be in the picture. The question you're is ask always, me to name a Big Ten West champ based on what they did last year and their overall reputation as well as returning production. Be hard pressed to not say it's Iowa. Uh, it's the safe choice, actually. Uh, Wisconsin seems like the safe choice until you remember how bad their defense was last year in, in stretches. Um, in stretches, but... In stretches, yes. Of course, the limited sample size hurts them, but Iowa played eight games and won six of them. So as far as I'm concerned, I think the safe choice is 
Iowa if you're going to ask me to conservatively pick a Big Ten West favorite. Well, yeah, but when you're talking about picking favorites, it's never the goal is never to be conservative. It's to uh, plant your take upon take mountain, plant your, you know, stake your flag and trust that nobody's going to remember because what do you do after you plant your flag on take mountain? Well, everyone goes off to next to the next take mountain. Well, hey, I saw I saw a whole thing recently where uh, oh man, I, I can't remember who it was. One of the one of the countless sort of generically named uh countrywide college football blogs that post like just ranking power rankings with nothing behind them uh, predicted a finishing order and in the big 10 West. And what they basically said is of course uh, off tackle empires, old mantra, anyone can win the big 10 West. Except Illinois. Except Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, were, were we wrong? Absolutely were we wrong? not. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, except I, Illinois and Nebraska. I was going to say, I don't think Nebraska can win the Big Ten West. <laughs> uh, we talked about that two months ago when we previewed Nebraska very early in the order, as you'll recall. So anyway, um, got to pivot to some slightly more uh, slightly more uncertain topics here with Iowa, which is the current status of the basketball program. And again, I, I tried to get sanctimonious about this, but if I were an Iowa fan, a fan of Iowa basketball right now, I'll look at the outcome from the last couple of seasons when with a unanimous All-American, this you know, wooden award winner, Luca Garza, plus a, a very strong supporting cast around him, you hung exactly zero banners. You got knocked out in the second game of the tournament both of those years. And now your roster has cratered in such a way that you could be a bottom three team in the conference if things don't break right with a number of your developmental guys. I would look at all those things as an Iowa basketball fan and be very disappointed, but it really, I have not gotten that vibe from any of the Iowa people that I interact with. So I mean, you had a player that at, that about 38% of Americans agreed was the best player in the country. Uh, and, you know, for, for maybe longer than you could have reasonably hoped for. I mean, granted, he was never a great NBA prospect, but still you figure his stock wasn't going to get any higher. And I mean, maybe, maybe it did, but it's still always, you know, in this day when, when we all salute guys who get the bag and we want them to uh, always a blessing when somebody that has any NBA interests choose to come, chooses to come back to your school. Yeah, but his time's up and he could have taken the extra year. I mean, we discussed, wouldn't it be absolutely hilarious? I mean, he, he set Iowa's career scoring record by a pretty good margin. If he had come back for a free fifth year, uh, he could have set a record that nobody would ever touch as long as basketball is at all similar to the game we know it to be now. Um, I guess, you know, when, when they inevitably institute the five point line or something, then maybe a lot of these scoring records won't mean anything anymore, but um, he had the opportunity to absolutely graffiti his name on the record books but anyway um luca garza the last flight of the peacock has has taken off from iowa city joe Wieskamp is also going to stay in the draft after getting a lot of very positive feedback in his evaluation process i think that makes sense i mean he has nba measurables um a very effective outside shooter enough supporting skills to his game that you could see him as a three and d kind of guy if you give him a little bit of development time and then uh, C.J. Frederick went ahead and got his bag and headed off to Kentucky, or so we assume. 
Yeah. Uh, well, ultimately, if Frederick ends up at Kentucky, it means that they didn't do as good a job at getting bag men as Illinois did. And uh, perhaps, their, perhaps their devotion to that sad religion has not uh, helped them conjure up the bag to retain their players. But anyway, I'd venture a guess that actually Iowa, you know, or at least Fran McCaffrey hardliners uh, would prefer a future where Garza's record can fall because they don't allow defenders inside the three-point line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but either way, the cupboard is kind of bare this year as far as returning production is concerned anyway. Yeah. The front court's going to be a real issue for them, I think, because in addition to losing Garza, Jack Nunji transferred, I think, to Cal or something. He transferred to a school in California. I don't remember if it's actually Cal or not. He's originally Australian, and I guess he wanted to be closer to home, and that is closer, but, but I don't know if that's the functional difference or, or if he was raised here or something. I, I don't know his whole story. But anyway, Nunji transferred, which is a big loss because even with the injury he had midway through last season, he had shown in some stretches the ability to be like 70% of what Garza was in, in your best case scenario. So to lose him and Garza is a big loss in their front court. What I expect they'll do, what I mean, if I'm looking at Iowa's roster, their strength, I think, is basically in their guard positions. They do get an extra year from Jordan Bohannon. Um, I've always liked Joe Toussaint, but they haven't played him a whole lot. And they had some moments from Tony Perkins as a freshman last year. So they've always been a team that's like to go one in, four out anyway. Why don't you just lean into it, play small, play fast, play Keegan Murray at the five sometimes. Recognize that you, in some matchups you're going to get hammered uh, defensively because there's nobody on this roster who's guarding a Kofi Coburn or Hunter Dickinson. Um, if you're not already okay with getting hammered defensively, you're not a very good Iowa fan. That's true. And the alternative... What, do you want to be like Wisconsin? How dare you even suggest that? And just play big and slow. Only and Wisconsin's play defense. You don't want to be a Wisconsin. Yeah, so lean into this because the alternative, if you want to try to match up defensively a little better, is basically to rely on a couple of freshmen. Um, that would be Peyton Sanford and Riley Mulvey, a couple of guys between 150 and 200 in terms of national prospects which means basically it's not realistic to rely on them for much as freshmen. So this is probably going to be something of a rebuild year. Again, I, I really liked what I saw from Keegan Murray last year. They've got enough guards who are small and quick and can shoot that keeping up with them in offensive sets, running lots of screens, getting good ball movement should be, po should be possible. Um, but they're also, in terms of the wings, like guys at the 3-4 spot, basically going to be relying on the McCaffrey brothers almost exclusively. So it's going to be a tough season. They're going to have to hope for good health, which has not really been their bag recently, unfortunately. Um, if they keep Bohannon and McCaffrey's and Murray healthy, those guys I think could be the core of a decent team. But I still think their ceiling is probably something like mid-pack in a conference. You're talking like best-case scenario, probably about sixth or seventh place in my perspective. Well, I mean, look, one of the things, one of the few things that, you know, everybody in our blog, the whole Big Ten universe really unanimously agreed on was that it is very good that this Illinois-Iowa thing in basketball has become competitive and very heated and, you know, frankly, a little bit nasty. Um, 
I just hope we can keep it up here because, you know, that implies provocateur on the Hawkeye side. That implies that the games are going to be close. Yeah. Now that being said, DeMonte. Yeah. Jordan Bohannon ran his mouth an awful lot. So, you know, you got got two sixth year guys with kind of limited, very specific skill sets who just like to jot each other. Yeah. Hopefully there's enough, (laughs) there's enough uh, Tinder left over from whatever conflagration happens this year, that it's a sustainable thing. That it's, you know, we have responsible forestry in our cross-border rivalry here. If it's a basketball game, I'm betting on Illinois. But if it's a fight, I'm selling my house to bet on DeMonte Williams. Your source for big and it's off tackle empire.